If you are making notes this morning on this final week of Colossians, I've called this message a glorious event. And I'd be grateful if you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What a staggering reality that is, don't you think? This word is God-breathed. It is literally breathed out by God himself. That's why the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is it living and active? Well, because it is God-breathed. It is God's word that we're being addressed by. He continues, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In one way, we read the Bible, and another way, it reads us. It discerns what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our hearts. And so as we gather around your word, we gather around a word that is breathed out by God and living and active. And so how incredible it must have been when Tychicus and Wanzimus arrive in Colossae, And I want you to imagine that Colossae is your hometown and you have heard a rumor that Tychicus and Wanzimus are coming to church this morning. But more incredibly, they are coming to the church this morning with a letter written by the Apostle Paul himself. That's written for you and this local church. That would have been a staggering moment. G.K. Beale says, Paul wants the Colossians to read his letters. Because they convey God's authoritative word. Paul understood and knew that as he was writing, he was writing his words, but ultimately he was writing under the inspiration of God himself. That's why Sam Storm says the following. He says, in the first century, the reception of an apostolic letter and its public reading was a glorious event. And so it was. When you heard rumor that the Apostle Paul himself was writing to you, it was astounding because you knew God was going to address you. And at the conclusion then of this letter, in Colossians chapter 4 verse 16, Paul commands that this letter be read among them. He knew that God would do his work in the midst of this local church to encourage them and envision them and refresh them and help them. Remember, they've been on the end of much false teaching. Teachers that were coming in and basically saying it was time to move on from Jesus Christ. And so how incredible when this letter would have arrived for them and how incredible that we get to read it today. Right at the end of this letter, Paul commands this letter to be read aloud among them. And so as we complete this series, I can think of no better way to conclude this series by reading this letter aloud amongst us. We're going to read all four chapters today as we examine this letter. And I want you to imagine that you are in Colossae hearing this for the first time. And I want you to imagine that God is addressing you. Because God is addressing you. His word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we're going to read this letter together and enjoy it for all that it is. And then I'm going to finish with some concluding thoughts as to how we can respond to this letter. 
So may we give ourselves to this word. And why don't I pray as we get into this together. Lord, I do thank you for your word. And I thank you that it is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, as we gather around your word, we don't just gather around some historic letter or distant letter, but we gather around a word that is speaking to us, that is still alive, that is breathed out by you. And so, Lord, would we give the same reverence to your word this morning that we give to you as we recognize you are addressing us. Speak to us by your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just to give you the heads up, it takes about 12 minutes to read this. And the rest of the time, we will then give ourselves to applying it. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you? who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, wanting everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, 
But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. For here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. 
He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Wanzimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, the servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You Now one can only imagine what a glorious moment that would have been as this church gathered to hear the authoritative word of God preached through the hand and letter of Paul himself. One can only imagine how this would have envisioned them and encouraged them and refreshed them and all that the Lord is calling them to do. They are being deceived by false teachers, but now Paul writes to them with clarity for their envisioning and encouragement and courage building. And how kind of the Lord that 2,000 years on, we get to read and live into the same thing, haven't we? For the last five months, we've been enjoying this letter together. It started in May. We're now in the middle of October. You know, for me as a pastor and preacher, particularly when you give yourself so much to a letter, I feel like I'm leaving behind an old friend. This is somebody I've been walking with for the last five months of my life. And yet what a great letter it is. And as the sun begins to set then on this letter, I simply want to conclude our time this morning, include this series, with just three brief thoughts on how we should respond to this letter. It would be such a tragedy to spend five months in a letter and then six months on look back and realize you can't remember any of the letter nor have you applied it. What a tragedy that would be. And so how do we respond to this wonderful letter? How do we respond to this letter which is breathed out by God and therefore living and active? Well, three things, three responses that I think it demands of our life. The first way we respond is this. We respond, number one, with faith. We respond with faith. I think it is God's providence that we have ended up in this book during COVID. Because we need to be inspired by faith, do we not? So many things have changed, so many things look different. We need to be inspired by faith. And that is exactly what Colossians does. One commentator says it this way. He says, the verses of Colossians chapter 1 are among the most clearly reasoned presentations of the supremacy of Christ anywhere in the Bible. (laughs) That is a huge statement, and it is a true statement. 
The supremacy of Christ is placarded before our eyes in Colossians chapter 1 in a unique and wonderful way. And so we see up front at Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is supreme in personhood. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Listen, to see Jesus was to see God. Was to spend time with Jesus was to spend time with God. If you want to know what God is like, then behold Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God himself, the incarnate of God himself. For in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells bodily. No one who has ever walked on the earth is like Jesus. He is supreme in personhood. And then Paul tells us, listen, that's not all. He's also supreme in creation. For from him and through him and to him are all things, Paul tells us. You see, first and foremost, Jesus is the founder of all creation. Listen, church, everything, everything that you see, everything that has been made and has ever been made, has been made by his hand. The heavens and the earth, everything that is visible and invisible, has ultimately been weaved and created by the very hand of Jesus Christ himself. Ultimately, he is also the goal of all creation. For everything began with him and will one day end with him. He is the Alpha and Omega. That's why he's the center of all things and should be worshipped accordingly. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Why? Because from him and through him and to him are all things. Ultimately, one day every atom will bow before him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we await the day of his return, what we discover in Colossians 1, he is also the sustainer of all things. All of creation is being sustained by God. If he didn't sustain you in this moment, every atom in your body would instantly implode. Everything you see is being sustained by the very hand of Jesus Christ himself. He is before all things, And he is the sustainer of all things. John Kitchen, in his wonderful commentary, describes that scene this way. He says, We owe both our existence and our continuance to Christ. Life as we know it, including all the so-called laws of nature, is dependent upon the ongoing, ever-present, continuous command of Christ, which holds all the elements of the universe together in an ordered reality. On the macro scale, this includes the orbits of the planets around the stars. And on the micro scale, this includes the dynamic powers that hold atoms and their subatomic particles in whirling consistent wholeness. For Christ is the glue that holds all things together. He is the tuning fork to which all created reality adjusts and conforms, and he is the principle of cohesion in all the universe. Isn't that amazing? Christ is supreme, boom, King of kings and Lord of lords. The only reason why your heart is still beating in this moment is because he is sustaining it by his hands. Such is his sovereignty and his splendor and his majesty. And Paul tells us to boot, he's also supreme in the church. He's the head of the church. Who is the ultimate king of kings? Who is the ultimate pastor? Who is the ultimate shepherd over every local church on the planet? Well, King Jesus is the shepherd. 
He is the one who's ultimately leading and building his church. And to boot with that, he is also supreme in each and every one of our reconciliations as well. My friends, for each and every one of us in the room, once upon a time, we were alienated from God. And we were hostile in mind towards him. And we were doing evil deeds. That was our story. And yet by His grace, He came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. He then did something that only He could do in His supremacy, namely live a complete sinless life. And then He gave His life as a ransom for many so the sinless could be reconciled to God the Father. He is supreme in your reconciliation. The only reason why you're here today as forgiven and redeemed and justified and can know for sure heaven is your home is because the supreme King of Kings died in your place. And in His supremacy, He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who rose Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in your heart, which is why you can say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. You know, to stop and stare at the supremacy of Christ is a truly incredible thing. And we should do it often and regularly because the supremacy of Christ is such a glorious and incredible reality. And when we stop and stare at the supremacy of Christ and see Him for who He truly is, the fruit of that will always be faith. It'll be faith, not fear. It'll be faith. It won't be weakness. It will be courage. It won't be nerves. It will be faith. And I submit to you, it's a faith that we all need, isn't it? See, the Bible tells us, as sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. No one knew that better than Paul himself. He tells us right at the end, and indeed at the beginning, he says, remember my chains. You know, you think we've had it hard during COVID in Australia? Uh, Paul's been in quarantine for some time in prison. He's not coming out. He said a lot of things cancelled, a lot of things he didn't get to, a lot of things that didn't happen, a lot of hopes that he's no longer going to be doing. And yet one of the things that is so clear about Paul's life is, man, he is a man that is filled with faith. Faith in God. How? Well, because he gave his life to fixing his gaze, not on the things of the earth, but on the things of heaven. And as he stopped and stared at Jesus and he saw, this is the one who's supreme in personhood and this is the one who's supreme in creation for from him and through him and to him are all things. Not an atom is out of place outside of his will. Not a sparrow can fall from the sky without it being outside of the ordaining and allowing of the creator king of all. See, our world and Satan will convince us when we just gaze at the horizontal and all the problems all the time, what actually happens, although we're not perceptive to it, is all the time Satan is convincing us that Christ is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And maybe he doesn't even care about you. But when we take our eyes off this and lift our eyes to this and allow the word of God to function, we realize, oh my goodness, he's massive! He's huge! And if you want to know how he feels about you, then gaze at Calvary. And the moment, because he so loved the world, that he gave his life away as a ransom for many. You know, my friends, we may not understand everything that happens in our lives. We may not understand everything happens in the world. But what I do know is there is one who we can truly trust in the midst of it all.
Paul gave his life to staring at that one. And I trust and pray that one of the lasting fruits of Colossians is that we would do the same. That in the midst of the turmoils of life, we would look up to the one who is in the sun and the stars and make sure he's aware, I trust you. You are my rock. You are my anchor. You are supreme in it all and I trust you. One of the lasting fruits, I think, of Colossians by way of response is faith. And if you're struggling with faith, I want to encourage you to mainline again then in Colossians chapter 1 and don't move on until you come out. Spend time seeing Jesus for who he really is. It's not the only way we can respond though. First of all, we respond with faith. Number two, I suggest that we also respond with action. With action. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul tours us around the supremacy of Christ, making sure that we understand that Jesus is supreme. Supreme in personhood, supreme in creation, supreme in the church, supreme in our reconciliations. He is the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And then from this verse onwards, and particularly into chapters 3 and 4, he helps us to see what does it look like now then to have Jesus Christ as supreme in my life? How do I respond to his supremacy? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received? Yes, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But where that faith is real, that faith will never be alone. It comes forward in action. And in chapters 3 and 4 in particular, Paul takes the time to help us see what it looks like to have Jesus Christ as supreme in our lives. Listen, if you've ever wondered, I just don't know what I'm meant to be doing in my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. Hello? Read the New Testament and apply it. There are three chapters right here that are completely talking into how he wants us to live our lives for his glory as the supreme king of kings. And so he tells us in chapter 3, How we are to put on new clothes and what it looks like then to have Jesus Christ as supreme supreme even in our clothing. And so he tells us to put off things like sexual immorality and impurity, covetousness and anger and slander and lying. It helps us see, listen, they're all the old ways. They're the world's ways. That's all you used to be, but not anymore. You need to put them off. He actually says, you know, it's not just putting off, but when it comes to the old self, you've got to mortify it. You've got to put these things to death. It is a word that is action and violent and intentional. These things are the world ways. They've got to go. And instead, we need to attend to the royal clothes and put on the royal clothes, which Jesus Christ has earned in our place. And so compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness And patience. And above all, he tells us to put on love. And then he tells us what it looks like to have Jesus as supreme in our community. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He makes it clear, listen, you may come from different tribes and languages and nations, that's a glorious thing, but stand together as one. Because Christ is all and he's in all. 
And so now we have the opportunity to live as a city on a hill, something different to the world that will represent the glorious kingdom of God to the world. That's what it looks like to have him as supreme in our community. We find ourselves obsessed with Jesus rather than all the different things that we're different on. And then he tells us what it looks like to have Jesus as supreme in our relationships. As husband and wife and as parent and child and as employers and employees. And then in chapter 4 he tells us what it looks like to have him as supreme in our mission and in our prayer. So he urges us to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving and to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Listen, these chapters are a treasure trove, a treasure trove of application of what it looks like to live and walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. But here's my concern. My concern is that it can be so easy to be hearers of the word And not do us. It is so easy to spend five months in a letter. And then look back and realize you heard it all. But did nothing with it. And in God's word. That's called being deceived. This is what it says in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. James has been addressing these people, helping them see, listen, it's great to be hearers of the word. It's important. Hear it with meekness. Then he says this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What a staggering and important statement, isn't it? He's saying, listen, you could come to Sovereign Grace Church for five months and hear this word preached and you think you're blessed? You're not blessed at all if you don't do anything with it. You're just like people who looked at yourself in the mirror and went, ooh, and then walked away and did nothing with it. That's not blessed, that's deceived. My friends, this letter calls us to action. Knowledge is a wonderful thing, but it's only a wonderful thing when it is the prelude to action. It is action that brings with it blessing. And So my friends, I want to encourage you then, as we attend growth groups this week, And as we gather in growth groups as a local church, I want to encourage you to work hard then to strap down what the one or two things are that you really want to grow in in light of this letter. And if you don't know what they are, then maybe I already rest my case. We've been in this letter for five months. I'm pretty sure God will have been speaking to us. We just need to be paying attention. What is it that he wants me to put off? What is it that he wants me to put on? What would just be one or two areas in my life that in the light of this letter I can apply the gospel to and seek to change to become more like Jesus Christ? Listen, I'll give you a clue. Growth groups are called growth groups because they're about growing. And growth means putting off the old self, being renewed in the mind and putting on the new self. It is exactly what this is about in this chapter. 
So what's the one or two things for you? Share them humbly with the group. Ask for their help. Ask for their accountability. If you're not sure what they are, then ask your group, hey, in light of this letter, what would you see in me? I'd rather get a group and give them a few things, but if you'd rather not do that and just ask for their feedback, go ahead. But for all of us, we want to be applying. We want to be putting action to these words. Why? So that we may not be deceived. That we may see our face. And as a result, become more like Jesus Christ by the end. And then finally, how do we respond? Well, we respond to this letter, I believe, with thanksgiving. You know, in life, there are always 10,000 reasons to complain, aren't there? (laughs) There's 10,000 reasons to moan, 10,000 reasons to complain about things, things that we feel that we should have been done better to, things that didn't work out, things that are always somebody else's fault. You know, I have five children. I don't remember ever sitting down, any of our children, saying, okay, let me just teach you a few things. Here's how to complain. No, that comes naturally. There's something in our heart for all of us that understands complain. We have to teach gratitude, but complaint comes naturally. There's an inner lawyer in all our hearts that feels, I should have been treated better. And so we complain about a whole number of things. And yet in all honesty, whatever is going on in our lives, what Paul is trying to help us see here in this letter is that whatever's going on in our lives, there's actually also 10,000 reasons to praise. Whatever's going on. See, there's no doubt that gratitude and thanksgiving is a profound theme throughout this entire letter. He mentions the theme of thanksgiving or gratitude seven times. There's only four chapters. He mentions it three times in in the space of three verses. Thanksgiving is a big deal to Paul. God wants to ensure that his people, as they follow him as Lord and Savior, are the most grateful and thankful people you will ever meet. And one of the things that is so compelling and captivating to me on this is that these words are penned by Paul. (laughs) Paul. This is not Brin's bedaddled life here. This is Paul. He pens these words from prison. But that's the least of his worries. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about Paul's life. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me on the anxiety for all the churches." Okay, let's just take a step back at the minute. Has anybody had it as hard as Paul? Because I don't think we have. I'm not aware of anybody in this church that has been bobbing around in the ocean from a day and a half having been shipwrecked. This is extreme what he has gone through and continues to go through. Even as he pens this, he's in jail with no clue if and when he will ever get out. This is not what he had planned. And yet gratitude and thanksgiving was his theme. To be around the Apostle Paul would to be to have been around a man 
that is one of the most grateful and thankful people you would have ever hoped to meet. How? How is that possible? He's clearly had a very tough life. How is it possible for him to be grateful and thankful? Well, here's how. It's not like Paul ignored the things that were happening in his life. He knows full well all the things that are difficult and troublesome. He's painfully aware of them, which is why he lists them in that passage. But even in the midst of all these things, his gaze isn't on these things. His gaze is on Jesus. And as he gazes at Jesus, these 10,000 reasons to complain become 10,000 reasons to praise. Because he sees, Lord, I trust you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords, for from you and through you and to you are all things. Lord, I don't understand why all these things happen to me all the time, but I do trust you. You are the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords, for before you are all things. One day everybody will bow to you. And he's amazed that God would save him. He's amazed that Jesus would die in his place. That you called my name and know me and know my frame. And now you've called me to be a part of your great mission to the world. Lord, I'm staggered. See, to be around Paul was to be around a man who was truly humble. I think if you had seen Paul in church, I don't think you picked him out. I think you would have just encountered a man that was shaking his head, amazed that he got to be here at all. He was the chief of sinners. But he staggered, you called my name. And the fact that I get to serve you is astonishing. And so, Lord, there's things in my life I don't fully understand, but I trust you, and I trust you will use these for my good and your glory, and in that I rest. So he was thankful. He was always thankful. Because he applied what he teaches us to do in chapter 3, when he tells us to set our minds to things that are above and not our things on earth. He applied that. He changed his life. And he was filled with faith and thanksgiving as a result. My friends, I don't know all that everybody's going through. And I don't want to minimize any of those things. But I do want to encourage you. Whatever your lot, there are always 10,000 reasons to praise. The King of kings and Lord of lords is supreme over your life. He's not sitting from afar and interested. He's sitting right at the center, guaranteeing that I will use all these things for your good and my glory. And if you want to know how he feels about you, then gaze at Calvary where he gave his life for you. His passionate and personal and particular love could not be any clearer to you. And it's when we stop and gaze at him and live gazing at him that I believe the only appropriate response then will be thanksgiving. Not understanding and everything, but genuine thanksgiving as we see him. You know, I can only imagine how incredible it would have been when Tychicus and Onesimus arrive at this church in Colossae and give themselves to talking about this letter. What a glorious event it would have been for this local church. They would have been talking about this for years to come. You can just imagine after reading it, if somebody would have probably put their hand up and said, can you read that again? I mean, just, just slow down a bit. We want to take every detail. And over the last five months, I thank God, that's what we've been able to do. 
We've been able to pour over these words, understanding these are God's words. This is God-breathed word. Word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And these words then in this letter even conclude with these final four words at the end of chapter 4. He says, grace be with you. He opens the book talking about grace. He closes the book talking about grace. Because he wants them to realize, hey, listen, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that will lead you home. It hasn't changed. So grace be with you. My friends, that grace is still with us today. Jesus Christ is still ruling and reigning in the world and in our hearts. He can be trusted. So may faith and action and thanksgiving be our themes as a result of this letter. May that be our story. And may all glory go to him. Let's pray. We thank you that you indeed are supreme. Lord, we can so quickly take our eyes off the prize, but when we stop and consider you in your majesty, oh my, how small we become and how great and large you become. For you are indeed supreme in creation and supreme in the church and supreme in our lives. Lord, you are the one who spins the galaxies. You're the one who marks the heavens off with the breadth of your hand. You are the one who sustains all atoms in our being, even now, so that we're living and breathing before you. And you also know our names and our frames. And Lord, you watch over our coming and going both now and forevermore. Lord, I pray that we would freshly this morning put our trust in you as our Lord and Savior. Oh my, what a king you are. And then, Lord, would we realize that in all sovereign reality, we really do have 10,000 reasons to praise. For what a Savior and what a king. May all glory be to you. 